If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast. This month is all about archery. Now, if you're a rifle and muzzleloader hunter, don't worry. There's going to be plenty of tips to glean from these episodes for you as well. One of the key components to successful hunting is accurate range estimation. And this is true for any hunt, but particularly true for archery. And the further you get away from the animal, the more critical that is. So nearly every archer now has a rangefinder in their arsenal of tools. But there's more to a rangefinder than just using it by successfully clicking the button and getting the range when you're ready to take that shot. So this week, I'm diving into some uses for rangefinders in stock planning, post-shot recovery, and the best practices I use when you're in tight to get the most out of the equipment and not let that rangefinder blow the hunt for you. I'm talking about the secret uses of a rangefinder. But before we do that, I want to share the story of when one of the best tools blew the hunt. This hunt happens to take place with my dad. We were hunting early season mule deer with a bow in Nevada. It's kind of a high country hunt, uh, early August, and one of my favorite hunts of the year. I really wanted to help my dad get a deer with his bow, so... I was going to be the spotter. My dad was going to do a lot of stocks, unless I found a buck that was one that really piqued my interest. But for the most part, I wasn't seeing what I was really hoping to find. And so my plan was to put my dad on as many stocks as possible. But I wanted to wait for that really high percentage stock. So we're sitting there and we've got this kind of spot that we'd hunted a lot. And this glassing knob, we call it the bull. And I'm glassing out and there's these mule deer like a bachelor group feeding so we watch them watch them watch them and they bed in this good patch of mahogany well they happen to kind of bed on the way that we're sitting in the shade is 
I, we can see exactly where they bed. So the wind's good. It's like a slight downhill. Everything's perfect. So he's like, he comes around, he, he's working into the sun and the wind is in his face. And so what that did is it put the shade on the opposite side of the tree of where I was looking, but we could see that they're bedded in there. So we kind of plan the stock and we're sitting there on the knob. This is before we had like digital maps where we could just drop pins and, and figure out distances. So I'm, we're just planning the stock and I'm going to sit and watch. And then my dad's going to move in and, and make a play. So from where I'm sitting, I range and it was like, what was it like 500 yards to where the deer were and then it was like 500 so we started just ranging around to different spots and there's this little rock outcrop and like a mahogany inside this cluster of trees like right on the edge and we ranged that and it was going to be like 35 yards from where the deer were so we just subtracted the distance did the math and go okay that's where you're going to stalk to it's a good concealed approach you can take this wide way around because it kind of like the way the hill was you could go around the backside get the wind right pop over had some open to crawl through but could use that big rock and tree is cover and then he's in a little bit of the timber but he would be probably 30 to 35 yards from most of the bucks and he, he wasn't really going to be too picky either so he was going to just shoot whichever buck he got a shot on so this is absolutely perfect Middle of the day, thermals are steady. Everything looks good. So he sneaks in, and he's he's sneaking in, and I can see him at the rock. And once he, he makes his move, I'm kind of guiding him in. I see him, he gets to the spot, and he's all, like, set up, and I can see him, like, trying to range all over the place. And everything looks pretty good. The sun's shining on my dad, the deer in the shade. And I'm like thinking, okay, this is just going to be one of those deals where you just got to wait it out. And he's laying there and I can see him. He's like pretty concealed, I would imagine. He's laying down. He's got a little bit of cover and he's just like ranging all the stuff where the deer are. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, the group of bucks blow out. I'm like, all right, that sucks. I figured he got winded or spotted. So I, I signal him that, deer all gone they actually kind of ran toward me but watched where they went and then they went over the hill and just disappeared so he comes back up to where i'm at on the hill and i was like oh what happened the wind swirl he's like no i don't think the wind swirled and so i'm thinking i was like oh did you just get like busted and want to see he's like no honestly they were practically sleeping and most of the deer he's like none of the deer were even looking my way he's like it was perfect and and he's like yeah he's just ranging and he's talking and he's like facing me talking and all of a sudden i notice he's got his rangefinder out and i notice like this flash of light and it dawned on me i was like i bet you that the sun hit the lens of your rangefinder and like signaled the deer so they it was like they weren't even looking your way but we, while he was sitting there ranging it was the same angle everything probably would have been the same and the way the sun was hitting the lens of that rangefinder it was just like a signal mirror going off and up until that point i never really thought about that the the fact that here's a deer that's completely unaware and high likelihood that the flash of the lens 
that reflection off of it. Either they caught that actual reflection on that while it was concealed or just that projected light spooked those deer. And then over the years, I've been paying attention to that and have seen that just reflection off the rangefinder while guys sitting there waiting, 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 just ranging, 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 and like the deer's completely unaware, facing away, betting the perfect stalking setup, and that light bounces off the lens over the trees or whatever and just alerts the deer. Sometimes they stand up and, what's going on? Sometimes they blow out. Sometimes it gives them just that inkling of something's wrong. And I've seen many hunts blown because of just not taking that caution in one simple step when the greatest tool that you have in modern bow hunting probably to know the exact range of an animal that's standing there and you can get everything set and make that perfect shot is a thing that gets overused and then essentially scares the animal because light hits the lens and it was something that the person didn't think about. When I think about a laser rangefinder, I mean, it is an absolute piece of equipment, especially for bow hunting, but even rifle hunting, especially when you're talking about longer range rifle hunting, that it's essentially changed the game. I really attribute a lot of success or is like hunting success overall has increased since the addition of a laser rangefinder. And there's a good reason for that. When you know the distance, you could make a good shot because it just takes the guesswork out of it. However, there's a lot of things that I use that rangefinder for that aren't just ranging the animal. I use it during stock planning and some other things. And then also there's some things that I do, a few tips that I think can make the difference in crunch time. You've got this awesome piece of technology that can really help you make a good, accurate shot. But I also think that what happens is people rely on it very heavily and you really do want to get that good range. But what that tends to do is leads to a few mistakes in the use of it, as well as some things that maybe you don't think about that cause you to not be able to get that right range. So I compiled some tips of the things that I use a rangefinder for as I'm stocking in, and then ways that I use the rangefinder to help get an accurate range or to make sure that when you're in close enough, you don't use the best tool you have to essentially blow the hunt. So the first thing that I do when I'm stalking in, especially on a bedded animal, I, of course, use the rangefinder for stock planning when I'm saying, okay, I want to get to a spot where I'm within bow range of an animal. So from my glassing vantage, if I can range that far, I'll, I'll like range where the animal is and then range multiple options of where I want to stock to and then I'll subtract the distance. And that gives me a good mental picture of okay, when I get over there, I'm going to be 35 yards if I can get to this particular tree, 50 yards from this particular rock. It just helps me plan that stock out before I ever leave my glassing vantage. And I've got right now a, a Vortex, their razor rangefinder. And that thing goes, I mean, rangefinders now compared to however many years ago, even four years ago, it's just night and day difference. I mean, I can accurately get ranges well over a thousand yards. And before, you know, a thousand yard rangefinder would range 300 yards. So it allows me to really plan out stocks from a lot further. But where really the rangefinder comes in 
what I'd say clutch for me is as I'm moving in on that animal, what I'm going to do is like, so let's say I'm, I'm stalking with my bow and I'm a hundred yards away. I'm going to range to the deer and say, okay, a hundred yards. And then this is like a long crawl and I'm going to range to where I think I want to get. I can, and I just figure that out by subtracting the distance. So I know if I get to there, I'm going to be 30 yards. Then, so I, that gives, builds this mental picture. So if I get to that rock, right. And the deer stands up and I, think that I only have a few seconds to make a play. The last thing I want to be doing is reaching for my range finder and going click, 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 and trying to get the range on that deer because of the difference between ranging, putting down, drawing, and shooting might be the difference between that deer getting away. So it might be like, okay, I got to it. I know what this range is because I've done the math already along the stock. I can just draw back, take a shot. Of course, if I have plenty of time, I'm going to range it, verify everything. That's going to be great. But as I'm moving in on the animal, I'm doing a lot of that leg work ahead of time. So I don't have to rely on it when I get within that crunch time, that real close distance. Now, another thing that I'll do is maybe I don't have those points that I can do. Or when I'm sneaking in, say I'm on a meal, this happens a lot on meal deer stocks for me, 60 yards, I range the deer, but I want to get closer. Like maybe he's bedded and I just don't have a good shot there. Or even if he stood up, I wouldn't have a good shot, but I can see the top of the tree that he's at 60 yards. As I crawl in, I actually start to count down the range as I move. Like essentially a stride is three feet, which is a yard. So oftentimes I, you know, like half of my body length would be three feet, which is a yard. So as I crawl forward, I just start counting down 60, 59, 58. 57. And if I get to a spot and all of a sudden I see that head move, I already have a mental idea of the exact range because I've used my range finder throughout the process of the stock. It wasn't just right when I got in on the animal. It's building a picture of the distance around me as I'm going on my stock. Now I'll also do this same thing. Like if I'm not even on a stock, but if I'm still hunting and I'm w working through an area of timber and I'll just look at different things and I'll start hitting that range on it. Oh, and I go, oh, the furthest I can see in this type of cover is 30 yards or 40 yards. And it gives me an idea. So if something happened right away of the estimation of what I'm looking at as I move through, so I could have my pin set of like, oh man, if I see anything, it's gonna be 30 yards. Maybe I'll walk around with my pin at 30 yards because I know okay, that's about the distance that I would see something. But just by using that range finder allows me to really build out that good mental picture. And then using it during stock planning and stocking in allows me to be ready if something happens and I need to react super fast. Now, if I'm set up, I'll definitely get a, a verification range. I love to be exactly precise. But by doing it the way that I do it, if I don't have time to get that or something happens along the way, Nine times out of 10, what I've done in the process during the stock is plenty for me to make a really accurate shot. Another way that I use rangefinder, other than just getting a range on an animal when I'm within shooting distance, is after the shot. Let's say, you know, I know the range of the animal. After the shot, I, I stay where I'm at. I'll pull out my go hunt maps. I'll mark where I am, and then I'll I'll use the range tool 
say like where exactly was that animal standing because I'll know, oh, it's 58 yards. Then I can go and mark 58 yards away. And that gives me an idea of where to start looking for that arrow as well as an idea of where that blood trail might be. And that saved me a lot. Sometimes in the mountains, it can be hard to find that exact spot if, I don't know, there's a lot of factors. So one of the things I like to do is be able to go back to exactly where I shot from, but then know, okay, it was this distance from here. And then I'll often mark exactly where I was shooting from, like either leave my pack, put some flagging, whatever. And then as I'm out there looking for blood, arrow, whatever, I always just range back to that location and go, hey, now I can kind of triangulate this and go, oh no, this wouldn't be right here because I'm only 38 yards and I should be 43 yards. That's helped me pinpoint those exact tracks where that animal's standing, especially when it can be kind of difficult sometimes. So you go, okay, was it, especially if you're, there's those times where you're like, wait, was that a hit? Was that a miss? What exactly happened? I'm trying to find my arrow. You go, oh, here's the tracks where you're standing. Now you're on the right trail a lot sooner for a blood trail, for recovering your arrow, for all those things. By knowing exactly where that animal's standing, it helps take the mystery out of, oh, did I just miss it? Did I miss? What's going on? So that's one of the ways that I use the rangefinder after the shot to verify ranging back to where I was standing or shot from and then you know, be able to figure out exactly where that animal was. A third trick to using rangefinder is the different modes. Now there's a lot of, every rangefinder has different features. Uh, one of the features that seems to be pretty common is you can choose what range is getting picked up. So the first or last or just standard mode. Oftentimes, especially for bow hunting, I like to leave it in last mode. What that is is it's if there's brush or other obstructions, it's kind of giving you the calculation for that further, more distinct target, I would say. The thing about bow hunting is you're crawling in and often you don't have a lot of margin to pop up and get that range. Popping up, getting that range is a risky thing. So you're always edging on the side of trying to stay in the cover, trying to be a little bit covered up. So you're generally ranging through things. Even in the open, I find that I'm ranging through things a lot. So the mode that I use a lot for bow hunting is that last mode. Um, That's one of the things that I started doing in recent years and have got a lot more accurate readings that way. But I will toggle between the modes depending on the setup. So I I don't always just set it and forget it. I do toggle through those modes. Now, also on modes, you definitely always want to check the fact that the settings are correct. Most rangefinders do a horizontal compensation distance, so it compensates for the angle. You want to make sure that that's on. And then you also want to make sure that it's reading in the right measurements. I have seen and been with people that have made some incredible misses and they, we can't figure it out, can't figure it out. They're like, my bow's messed up. And I'm like, hand me your rangefinder. Oh, it's on meters. Did you sight in for meters or did you sight in for yards? Whoops, something got bumped or something got wasn't set right. So before I go on a stock, one thing I always do is check my modes. Check the, give it a ranges and go, is everything right? And the thing I run through is what mode's it on? Is it on normal? Is it on first? Is it on last? I generally like to go normal or last first sometimes, but it depends on your setup, right? If you're 
it just depends what you're doing. If you you know like the setup that you're stocking into, maybe you want it on that first. And then I check for the units, yards, meters, and then I check whether the horizontal compensation distance is on. Hiking around, things get bumped, things get moved, things happen. So I always check those things before I'm in the zone of trying to range an animal. Because if I really think about it, over the years, the majority of the animals that I've missed with a bow have been from inaccurate range estimation. Now that could be on me not having time to range it. That could be also on me picking up the wrong thing in a rangefinder. I don't know how many times I've ranged over something and, and shot for too far, hit brush that was close and shot for too close. It happens. It's, it's part of hunting, but I try to minimize the mistakes. And then the other mistakes that I try to minimize are those simple, easy ones that are oh, it was on a weird setting or I had it on this mode and it should have been on this mode, the wrong yardage. It wasn't compensating for the angle when I thought it should be. So before I go in, I try to minimize those mistakes by checking all my settings as I'm stock, like before I'm stocking in. Because the one thing you don't want to be doing is hitting them, like trying to change a setting when you're within range and shooting distance of the animal that you're stalking. There's nothing worse than I mean, I've had it happen, right? I'm like, oh, I go to range and something's wrong. And I'm going through the menu button and, oh, I think I have time. Maybe it's a bedded deer. I think I have time. I'm going through. And then there's this lag between getting your settings right and the deer stands up and you can't range and everything's messed up. Then it becomes a cluster. Things happen fast and mistakes get made. So if you have a range finder, that's one thing that I suggest doing. Number four. I've noticed this little hack works pretty well, especially when it comes to, to bow hunting. You think about the scenario that you're in. You've crawled in. You're going to maybe, you know, wait an animal out or you're trying to stay concealed and you need to get a range or you're on a, like this happens a lot too. When you're on a ridge, there's a lot of cover. Maybe the deer's below you and you got to peek up. But if you peek up too far, you're skylined. So you really have to stay in this zone where it's really hard to get a range on something. And so you're going just enough to where you can see the animal and hopefully zap it. Now, oftentimes you're trying to get their antlers if it's an animal that has antlers because maybe their eyes are lower and you, you try to hit those antlers. But sometimes you still can't get that range and what it's doing is it catching the hill in front of you, catching the brush in front of you. Even if you got it on last mode, whatever, it's just not working. Depends on the kind of rangefinder, but oftentimes that laser might be lower than where your eyes seeing through. So what I've found is I'll turn the rangefinder sideways or even upside down to range if I just need to peek over brush. That gets the laser over the brush, but then reflects it back and catches that number. That's just a little trick that I found works really well over the years when it comes to bow hunting is, is just holding the rangefinder different. It's a little awkward, but holding it sideways or holding it upside down if you just barely need to get over something, but you don't want to pop up anymore. And sometimes a matter of inches makes a big difference. Number five, when you're using your rangefinder, you got to be cognizant of blocking the sun. Like in that story of my dad just using the rangefinder and the light hitting it. Doesn't matter if it's a rangefinder, binoculars, camera, cameras are the worst. Uh, as a guy that's been doing a lot of filming over the years, camera lenses hit that light better than anything it's a big lens and it moves around a lot and it does a lot of flashing as you're in bow range shield it from the sun use your hand to protect that 
rangefinder from catching the sun, put a shadow over it. One of the things that I see mistake hunters make is they just, they range, they range, they range, they range. And I do it, right? If I have the time, I'm going to overrange. There's no point in not doing it. But you don't want to overrange and, and forget to shield the lens and then that be the thing that spooks the deer or at least alerts a deer that had no clue you were there to your presence. Number six, this is something that I think makes a big difference and I try to do this as the day goes on. Pre-stock, I try to anticipate what the light's going to be and I change the brightness as the day goes on. Uh, most rangefinders, you can change the brightness of the reticle in there. The worst thing that happens is it's early morning or late in the evening and it's on the full brightness. You go to range, you can't see where the animal is or the opposite it's super bright and you can't see the reading i'd rather have it super bright and not be able to see the reading as long as you can see the crosshair because you can always cover it up with your hand and then see the reading uh, if it stays for a little bit longer but in any circumstance pre-setting these things so you aren't messing with settings in the action makes a big difference um, that's one of the things that i always stress about using a rangefinder properly is having a little bit of forethought. It's a great tool, but if you don't take the time to utilize and, and like do things ahead of time, there can be some mistakes made that just might even cost you an opportunity. And number seven, if you're the type of person that's not good at guessing ranges, or even if you are good at guessing ranges, but you really want that accuracy of the rangefinder that you're carrying, Carry a spare battery. Batteries go dead in rangefinders when you don't want them to. I've had it happen so many times. I always have a spare battery in my bino case with me somewhere. So if that battery goes dead, I can swap it out and then swap out those batteries once you actually use the spare. I will go years without needing to change the spare battery. And then it'll be when I'm 20 yards or 50 yards from deer stocking in or mid stock that's when things go wrong. So make sure you always have a spare battery with you. And those seven tips, I think if you use those in combination with a range finder, you're going to find that you're going to get more accurate ranges. You'll spook less animals and overall be a more successful hunter. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. You know, when we talk about bow hunting, I think being able to range something and bow hunting go hand in hand, whether it's guessing the range or knowing the range with your range finder, it's an extremely important thing to have. And if you are relying on that range finder, you know, there's a few simple steps you can take to make sure that it's working properly. And by doing those things, I think you're going to find a lot more success. Also, you know, it has a lot of other uses outside of just once you're in the zone. So those are some things to think about. I use my rangefinder a lot. I use my optics a lot, my binoculars a lot. I like to use the tools that I have to be a more successful hunter. And I think that if you use them correctly, man, it makes a big difference. But I think there's so many stories where it's like, man, like the miss or the bad part of the story is like, man, my rangefinder, I couldn't X, Y, Z. But if you do the steps that I'm talking about, those things get mitigated uh, or at least a lot of them get mitigated, then then the rest of it just falls on you, you know? It's like, well, everything else worked out. I just fell apart at the shot, and that happens too. Oh, I just wanted to say a big thank you guys. Uh, for those of you that signed up for my newsletter, we did a knife drop with Montana Knife Company. 
a few weeks back. That was awesome. Uh, we were, we had some Magna Cut Live Wild engraved editions, so those were really cool. Um, thank you guys for all of you that participated in that. I know we got a lot of great response from that, so that was really fun to be able to do that. I did check. I went on their website today, and they have Montana Knife Company currently has quite a few knives in stock. They've been building knives, building knives, building knives to be able to offer them in stock. You know, one of the things that they used to do is, and they still do a lot of knife drops, but there are right now three different types of knives that you can go on and buy online in their store because they've built up enough stock for it. So they've got the MagnaCut Speed Goat, they've got the original Speed Goat, and then the Blackfoot. One of the things, like if you're on their website checking these knives out, Look at the amount of, I think, like a testament to their craftsmanship. Just scroll through their website and look at the amount of five-star reviews. You just don't see that with a lot of products these days. That just goes to show, like, how well-made these knives are. They are incredible knives, and that's the reason that they've taken off. Like, it's a company that is a very high-demand knife right now because they are so well-made. When you hold this knife, you're like, this is an absolute masterpiece. And Josh Smith does an incredible job with the direction of these knives. And, like, you just can't find a better knife out there right now. It's made right here in America. So I think that it's worth giving it a look if you're interested. They've got some in stock just before the hunting season. I feel like, you know, they've done a good job building enough supply to keep them in stock. But... Summertime's the time to get hunting gear because if you're trying to get things like that last minute, it never works out as good as it does if you pre-plan it. So check that out, Montana Knife Company. Go to their website, check that all out. Next week, we are going to be looking at some practice tips. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down some backyard practice shots per species. So we're going to go through all the Western big game species and some shots that I focus on. When I draw certain tags, there's certain things that I ramp up in my practice. You know, you could say practice makes perfect, but that's not true. It really needs to be the right kind of practice. You know, when I was uh, big into martial arts growing up, we would always say like perfect practice makes perfect. I guess that's true. If you're, if you're practicing the right way and the right things, then you're going to be a lot better when it comes action time so one of the things that i do is when i've got a certain tag if i know that i've got a, a sheep tag or a mule deer tag actually before those hunts i i shoot my bow a little bit different there's certain types of things that match scenarios a lot better that i definitely put a lot more emphasis on when i'm shooting targets so we'll talk about that next week i think you guys are really going to enjoy that until next week i'm just gonna say range it Catch you guys later.